0: Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. It is Friday, July 28th. We're in the midst of summer, so I thought it would be a good opportunity to take our Friday show, which we often break the regular format on, and do something that a lot of people have been asking about, which is kind of an all-in-one look at the Trudeau government's internet regulations, of which there are many, and still many yet to come. Despite this cabinet shuffle, it doesn't sound like the liberals are taking their feet off the gas pedal that is driving the car right off the cliff into an abyss of internet regulation, censorship, and more costs to you and I as taxpayers, not to mention the burdens it will heap on you and I as people in the orbit of independent media. Myself as a creator, yourselves in the audience uh, as uh, consumers and perhaps creators yourself. So I'm going to talk about this from a few different angles today. We're going to talk about Bill C-11, which is the uh, government-mandated algorithm rejigging bill. We're going to talk about C-18, which is the government subsidy bill. And we're also going to try to give you some tools and tactics that you can use to evade and elude these things as best as possible. Now, I should say with a caveat there, a lot of this stuff is only going to be short-lived. The idea of using a VPN may help in some way But really what has to happen is these bills have to go. And we're going to talk about exactly why they are so problematic. And I should say, first and foremost, a lot of you may have already seen little glimmers of this in your own lives. If you've tried to access some independent news website and you get a message that says, oh, this content's being blocked in Canada because of government regulations. This is already happening courtesy of Meta, which is the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, uh, because they were given a rather unpleasant choice. They were told you can either pay millions and millions of dollars to Canadian media outlets, Or you can block the content altogether. They took option B, and then the federal government turned around and accused them of bullying. Because uh, despite, you know, five minutes ago saying you are thieves for allowing this content in your platforms, now they're bullies for not. So uh, try to figure out how that's going to be squared. And I should say, you know, even so-called conservative or conservative-leaning media companies in Canada are part of the problem here. Post Media, which owns the National Post, has been going hat in hand to government demanding more and more money. And it was a bit curious this week when the Liberal Cabinet Shuffle came about to see this glowing, glowing profile of the new Heritage Minister, Pascal Saint-Ange, the former uh, member and manager of a lesbian rock band, a woman who is as heritage minister up against big tech in the National Post says, a role she's been rehearsing for. Look at this headline. Former rocker sent into the fight for Canada's digital rights. Does this not just strike me? as uh, a little bit like, as our friend Ezra Levant said, a grant application by PostMedia rather than an instance of journalism. Not a single critical word to be said about this woman that now PostMedia wants to be uh, the doler of cash. So uh, let's start off by talking about Bill C-18 here because 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 what the government has done in this bill is something very insidious. They've basically outsourced what they want to do themselves, which is subsidize the media with tax money, but they've outsourced it so that it's not taxpayers. It's the big, evil, scary, big tech companies that are going to do it, which as a taxpayer, I may say, okay, great, you know, it's not my money, but still it is nothing short of extortion. Chris Sims with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation had a great piece that she published just last week. Journalists should not be paid by the government. Hard to put a finer point on that. Chris is with us now. So let's talk about that outsourcing aspect here, because obviously you and I were we're both critical of that $600 million media slush fund. We're very critical of the $1.3 billion that the federal government gives to CBC every year. Uh, As taxpayer advocates, you could say at the CTF, you know, this is bad because taxpayer money is being siphoned towards these private interests. But what the government's done here is they've tried to basically neutralize that criticism. You know, the language they use, oh, these tech companies have to pay their fair share. It's not taxpayer money, it's big evil corporate cash.
2: Yes, exactly. That's the cunning plan right now. But who knows where that big tech fight is going to go, right? Because the answer always from government is, we're a government and we're here to help. So the up until recently, Heritage Minister at the time, Pablo Rodriguez, was quick to jump on that and say... Who knows where this fight with big tech is going to go, but we need to make sure that newsrooms stay open, we meaning government, and we need to make sure that they have the resources they need, meaning your money, meaning taxpayers' money. And so when you add it all up, the money is just atrocious. Over the last four years, if you add in what we've paid to the CBC and what we've handed out to corporate media in the form of bailouts, it's well over $5 billion, like with a B. It's an astonishing amount of money. But aside from the money, Andrew, like you and I having worked in journalism all these years over our lives, we know that if you're counting on the government for your paycheck, it's pretty darn difficult to hold them accountable. And this is the conflict of interest. Uh, We won't be able to hold government to account if the media is getting paid by them.
1: No, and, and I mean, we can talk all the time about individual reporters that may have biases or individual stories that may be biased. But what we've seen here is the media companies literally devote those precious column inches as the old saying goes to pieces lo- literally lobbying the government to give them money we've seen executives at these media companies testifying before before parliament asking for money and even the way they report on these bills you can tell they're demanding money they they're not actually sharing the criticisms about these pieces of legislation that most Canadians are because they're they're trying to get a, a chunk of it themselves and it's been one of the most i'd say brazen examples of an orchestrated media campaign to lobby for political ends.
2: Yes, exactly. And it's for those of us who've worked on Parliament Hill or worked in media, maybe it's more obvious for us, but I can't help it. When I was hearing Rodriguez being scrummed, I know most of those reporters, I'm not going to call them out because they're nice people, but even the tone was just like, yes, but aren't you to do something? What's to be done? rather than, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that never would have been the case. It was always holding people to account. Now, of course, a reporter or journalist has their own biases. That's normal. But for the first time ever, there are a lot of journalism jobs that are dependent upon the government's funding. And Mm -hmm. to give you an example, right and left, uh, the folks at Canada Land, arguably on more of the left side of the spectrum, who don't take government money, worked out how much it costs per reporter, and it's about $13,000. So imagine being that reporter, knowing that 13 grand of your paycheck is coming from that guy, from that minister, from this government. How then are you supposed to ask those hard questions? Like, you can't. It's, It's just human nature, even if they tried. It's the perception of bias that kills the trust, right?
1: Yeah, and I would actually go beyond that because you have some instances. One of them is this program called the Local Journalism Initiative, which is a, a program that will finance the entirety or, or most of the entirety of a reporter's salary, as I understand it. And they're supposed to be covering local issues, municipal issues, but I've seen a lot of mission creep in these roles where these reporters just become general assignment people. They're writing about climate change. They're writing about uh, this and that, or sometimes a local story that might have more more of a national flavor, and in that case, how are you, when emblazoned under your byline, is the fact that you're a government-subsidized reporter, uh, supposed to not say, well, you know, if this program goes away, my job might go away, and that, that's not at all an indictment of any of those individual people, because journalists themselves are being put in a, a pretty untenable situation here by raising these questions, by, by, by at least eliciting these questions from readers.
2: Yes, exactly. And again, it's, it's going to influence them. And even if they think it's not influencing their reporting, everybody reading their stuff or listening to their stuff who knows they're being paid by the government will always have that in mind, right? It was funny, our, our friend Sheila gunn had pointed this out. She said, you know what? If I'm reading my local paper, I'm there for the hog prices and the garage sales. I'm not trying to listen to the latest on, you know, on climate change coming out of Ottawa for my local newspaper report. I can tune elsewhere for that sort of thing. And you're right, so it's changing... The way that stories are being covered, and for me, what you know upset me most, apart from being taxpayers' federation and wanting government so small you could drown it in a bathtub, as Grover Norquist said, um, what bothered me is the trust issue. I don't know if you saw, but there's this major study. I think it's called the Edelson Trust Survey. Mm-hmm. Yep, comes out every year. Been going on for 20 years, and 61% of Canadians now think journalists are actively trying to mislead them with statements they know to be false, or gross exaggerations. So that hit me because, you know, good journalists, if you mispronounce somebody's name, or you accidentally get a date wrong, like that bugs you, like, and those are accidents. The idea that a huge majority, 61% of Canadians now think that they're being lied to by journalists, like that's a huge deal. And I think, you know, we think that government funding the media is obviously a huge reason why that trust is eroding. Because it's an obvious conflict of interest. And so I guess what I'm trying to get across is it's time for folks who are journalists still and who are taking government money to just kind of make peace with that and accept that they mustn't do so.
1: Let me ask you about the mechanics of unwrapping and unraveling a lot of this because a lot of the times it becomes easier to fight against something being created but a lot more difficult to dismantle it because of you know just the politics of it and path dependency and and once people have gotten accustomed to having a certain amount of money to take it away from them is actually quite difficult politically so let's say that you know we have a liberal government that goes until 2025 and there's some change in place I mean right now the only viable contender that's proposing to fight this stuff is Pierre Polyev. So suggest there's a conservative government in there in 2025. How easy is it going to be to take back the $600 million in tax credits, to take back the uh, C-18 uh, regulatory environment, assuming that it stays somewhat static between now and then?
2: That's a tough question, and it's something that Mr. Polyev is going to have to deal with if he does become prime minister. Uh, As far as we're concerned, on this side of the aisle, so to speak, uh, he's committed to it. He has said repeatedly that he is going to defund the CBC, and he has said repeatedly that he is going to stop paying the media, not using those exact words. But... So the so-called bailout, which is about $595 million. And it's a cluster of tax credits and direct funding. It's a whole kind of mix of things. And there's also actually a whole bunch of like emergency top-up things that corporate and private newsrooms got over the last few years that pushes it well over $600 million. So he's made the promise. So if he does that by deleting a line item in the budget before lunch, that's pretty quick. I mean, we'd like to see that happen because right now Canadians can barely afford groceries. We have record demand for food banks. You know, the last thing we should be doing is paying media because one, it's a waste of money. And two, it completely yeah. hinders our ability to hold them to account. But you're right. Once these things are entrenched, there's going to be a huge hue and cry. And I think you're seeing that already. You know, I've I've been in some pretty yelly moments and scrums on Parliament Hill between the gallery and opposition members and ministers. But I haven't seen the leader of the opposition wheel on his heel and point and kind of go back and forth with individual journalists like that, like we're seeing now. No, I think think you're right about
1: that. And, you know, again, you you can look at the government's uh, role in this. I mean, Pierre Polyev. Uh, will get into it and he'll scrap mm-hmm. and, and do the one-on-one and they'll scrap back. And I actually think that's fine because I think the way you combat uh, bias is you have to sort of challenge the premises at source when a question is put to you. And, and then 100%. you look at the contrast of that. Everyone remembers from, I think it was the 2019 election when Pierre Paulier or uh, sorry, there's a Freudian slip, when Justin Trudeau hands the poutine to David Cochrane at CBC and says, you know, the liberal government was will we'll always look out for CBC. I mean, that actually was a tremendously unfair thing to do to David Cochran, who I I don't know particularly well, but Trudeau himself has leaned into this whole, we're the friend of the press and they're the friend of us. And, And it's incumbent on journalists to push back when that happens and say, whoa, we're not your friends. We have a job to do. And the same is true when the government's throwing money at them. But that hasn't happened.
2: It's true. And just speaking from personal experience, I've witnessed. So remember a few years back, too, uh, at the Parliamentary Press Gallery dinner? So for normal people (laughs) who have not worked in the terrarium of Ottawa, uh, the Parliamentary Press Gallery is a club, basically, of journalists whose job it is to cover Parliament Hill. You have to apply for membership. You have to get a special press pass. There's rules of conduct, all that jazz. Fast forward, every year, they have this big, fancy kind of black tie event. It's a big gala. And it used to be really funny to invite politicians there because they were off camera. It used to be off the record. And the politicians would get up there and roast the press. So they've had Past prime ministers, current prime ministers, blah, blah. Now, oddly, it's broadcast. Like, everything is on video now. And one of the more recent ones, then and current prime minister Justin Trudeau, basically said something along the lines of, uh, well, of course the media is doing our bidding. We're giving them $600 million. Ha, ha, ha. But... It wasn't really funny, and you could see the discomfort coming from the gallery. And this, again, is the problem. You should be uncomfortable with the idea of the state covering your paycheck, if you're a journalist. Again, it doesn't matter if you want to call it straight down the middle, if you're really into weather, or if you're into sports, or if you're covering Parliament Hill. It shouldn't be coming from the state. Because then now we're going to wind up in this situation where trust in journalism is just taking a nosedive fast and our wasteful spending is going up just as quickly. The two are hand in hand. And so if there is a different prime minister who then cancels all of this funding, it's probably going to come as a pretty big shock for a lot of people. You know, I was with Sun News Network when it got shut down, and that wasn't because we weren't getting government funding. It's because the government, through the CRTC, wouldn't give us access to an audience. And so I know what it's like to have the government have its tentacles as to whether or not you exist as a newsroom. It's not going to be a good time.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a great example there. I mean, the, the left-wing media at the time loved to say that Sun News was demanding some special favor from the government, but it was actually the opposite of that. It was saying, I want you to give us the equal treatment that you give everyone else, and uh, then just leave us alone. And that was, I think, what should have happened. And it was actually, and we could do a whole you know hour-long show on this, I'd say one of the great failings of the Harper government is not actually stacking the CRTC in a way that would be more amenable to Uh, a multitude of of voices so uh, just in closing here Chris map this out a little bit because what we've seen here is the big tech companies Facebook and Google being pretty stubborn on this and the government being similarly stubborn do you think this is the status quo what we see now with this increasing resistance to allowing news on Facebook and Google or do you think that someone is going to blink here
2: I think if I were to predict Um, it's usually the government that blinks in these situations because, and it's for a bad reason, they think they have an endless pot of money. And that is taxpayers' money and or the printing press. So for some reason, this government thinks you can just print billions of dollars out of thin air and it'll solve all your problems. But that makes your problems much worse because it has caused this inflation crisis. Getting back to the idea of groceries not being affordable, folks, that's why because the federal government has been printing billions out of thin air while cranking up your carbon taxes. So that is helping to make your grocery bill higher. But I think that this speaks to a much bigger problem that is happening not just here in Canada, but throughout the English-speaking world. I can't speak to other Western countries because I'm I'm monolingual. I'm anglophone. But if you listen to news out of the UK, for example, uh, we're hearing a lot of censorship issues coming up there as well. So if you combine, Andrew... So now they're trying to go after big tech. They're in a huge fight as to whether or not who pays for media. The state government is paying media. And further, the state is now determining who a journalist is, who a qualified journalist is, which journalist gets money. And at the same time, they're trying to stifle online expression. So they're trying to fund other media, while potentially strangling alternative media sources like the one we're on right now. That's a really dangerous place to go if you value free expression.
1: Very well said. I would encourage everyone to take a look at Chris's op-ed on this at Taxpayer.com. Journalists should not be paid by the government. Now, I agree with it on the headline alone, but the body has a lot more great substance as well that you should check out. Chris Sims, Alberta Director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Always good to talk to you, Chris. Thanks for coming on today.
2: Thanks, Andrew. This episode is brought to you by Shopify
1: Thank you very much, Chris. That was Chris Sims from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, obviously taking a more right-leaning critique of Bill C-18. But I I wanted to put into context here the fact that this is not a right versus left issue. And I I think in general, the internet regulation that we are seeing from the government, especially on C-11, has been uh, sometimes even more forcefully criticized by voices on the left than on the right. So I want to sort of separate out the partisanship here and talk about some of the other critiques that are coming not necessarily from the taxpayer advocacy perspective uh, but in general I mean the government's stated goal here is about saving journalism now whether that's an accurate reflection of their goal or not I I think we could uh, probably have some debate over but that's their stated goal so even just on that criterion alone is C18 going to be the savior of journalism or is it actually going to have an adverse effect potentially I want to welcome back to the program uh, A gentleman who has been a voice on this with the group called Open Media, not a right-wing group by any stretch, but that doesn't mean we can't find common ground with them on stuff. And that is Matt Hatfield, who is the campaigns director and is returning to The Andrew Lawton Show. Matt, it's good to talk to you again. Thanks for coming back on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's talk about this idea here, first and foremost, about whether C-18 saves journalism, because uh, you've actually said that it could have the opposite effect.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, the government has designed a bill that I, I think is uh, almost guaranteed not to have the effect that they want it to. Um, and for a variety of reasons, I think it's it's rotten at its core. And I also think we're seeing right now platforms just aren't going to comply with the government's intention on it. So the whole bill was built around this idea that platforms are gaining so much value from news um, that's not being remunerated, and, and the government wants to fix that or make it fair. Uh, the platforms, both Meta and Google, are saying, well, if that's the case... We'll we'll stop stealing the news. We'll uh, stop hosting this news. And uh, what then? And of course. Uh, a lot of small news in Canada are, are really freaking out about this because this is going to take away, you know, 30, 50% of their traffic in many cases.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we, we are going to be talking a little bit later on in this show about how True North is, is doing its best to adapt to this. But uh, the worst thing about it is that the small outlets are the casualties of this fight that wasn't theirs. I mean, to use one on more on the left that uh, I was chatting about earlier in the show, Canada Land, I mean, they weren't asking for this money, but now they're going to have their audience throttled. We weren't asking for this money, but now now we're going to have our audience throttled and these small outlets that really were not the target market for C18 in the first place are going to lose access to their audiences. And that's the, the thing here is that it wasn't these bootstrap independent media organizations that were saying we need money. It was Post Media, it was Torstar, it was the Globe and Mail, Global News.
3: Yeah, that's right. And I think part of the tragedy is, of that is there's multiple small groups missing out. Of course, there's the, the uh, upstarts like yourself in Canada land that are being affected for no good reason. And in many ways, uh, you folk were doing great and really succeeding on new platforms. And then there's also local or small local news in the sense of, you know, the, the little newspaper, conventional newspaper, That wants to do reporting on uh, the city council uh, and they're potentially losing a bunch of revenue here we're we're never primary beneficiaries of c18 Um, and you know they were already really struggling to make a go of it some of them might go out of business specifically because of this bill
1: Yeah. And and the one thing as well, and and this gets into a a bigger picture discussion that probably we we can't solve uh, in a few minutes here, but it's about the definitions of of journalism. I mean, look, I I obviously am fully candid, about I approach issues from a a particular political persuasion. But when you have a bill like this, you you force someone to draw a line between what is journalism and what is not. And and let's just say that if there's a spectrum between your fairest, most impartial fact-based reporting and your just conspiratorial Uh, you know politically charged made up or clickbait outlet at some point if we're taking out the stuff over here we're leaving people with only access to the stuff that is more harmful to discourse
3: Yeah, that's a huge risk. Um, So it remains to be determined exactly how a platform like Meta is going to handle this. But uh, if they are specifically removing everyone who's a qualified Canadian journalist organization, according to the government, that actually accomplishes the opposite purpose of what the government is aiming at, it would be only non-qualified Canadian journalist outlets that would be getting distributed on Facebook.
1: Uh, What were the suggestions? Because I know open media was quite... uh forceful, and I mean that in a good way, and and trying to get some changes to these. I mean, what were the amendments that you would have liked to have seen, uh, apart from just scrapping the bill?
3: I mean, I I still think they ought to scrap the bill and restart. Um, I think there is a case that you can make for some need for public funding for journalism. I think there's a certain brand of journalism that society needs that are never going to produce a lot of clicks. And it's it's things like, you know, going to those council meetings, taking the notes on very boring meetings that we're probably never going to read those stories until it's a really important moment. And we needed to have that reporter there. And they weren't there because it wasn't attracting the clicks. That said, um, below scrapping the bill, I think the biggest thing that it needed and still needs is more transparency. So um, there's been a lot of critique of the fact that platforms already have some secret relationships with news organizations the bill's outcome is greatly expanding those secret deals. And we don't know who's getting the money, what the terms are. Um, Unfortunately, I I think because the government has realized their bill has gone awry, they're, in my view, desperate to strike a deal with Google right now to make sure Google participates in some way. And it's not just a net loss for journalism. But I think that's actually going to give Google tremendous scope to decide what they want from these deals. And, you know, if it's Google who's making some of the determinations about like, well, we think you as an organization deserve this much money um, a year or two from now, and then there's some reporting quite critical of Google coming from that outlet. I mean, we all know things could go awry there, right? Um, And these are some of the most powerful companies in the world. It's deeply problematic for news organizations to be dependent on either them or the government for their welfare.
1: Yeah, and I I think it's interesting because what you're describing when you talk about a role for public funding of of media, I'm a little bit more leery of than, than I think you are but but if it were to exist I, I would put it exactly where you've described it on, on sort of that gap filling idea of the things for which there is no market and in theory that's where CBC has a tremendous function you know in talking about French language, indigenous coverage, uh, remote and rural communities but I think CBC is also a bit of an interesting test case in that it's hard to resist the allure of the big glitzy stuff like the Olympics and the Junos and the online opinion section and I mean no one can say that opinions on the internet were an underserved market that uh, was in need of of CBC being there and and I'm wondering how you'd look at the local journalism initiative which I I think is probably by design trying to do that but I I don't think it's really stayed squarely focused on those local non-clickbait issues
3: yeah it's a good question. I mean, I think a, a main factor is that the funds are in no way comparable uh, to C18, um, and that really speaks to your point. the The real purpose of C18 was just dumping a buckload of money uh, from platforms into outlets like Post media. and unfortunately, with no real uh, no real guarantee that any of that money would be spent on journalism. I mean, many of these conglomerates actually have enormous debts that they a lot of their money goes to repay in those. It's entirely possible that few, if any journalists would have been hired, even if C eighteen were transferring a lot of money, which is part of the problem there. Um, I'm not an expert on the local journalists initiative, and um, you know our focus is really uh, the internet and what happens through the internet. Um, but I do think if as as you said, if there's any funding going out, it should really be focused on news deserts on things that that can't find their audience otherwise. Um, And there's a lot of great reporting that that can find its audience and doesn't necessarily need that support.
1: Have you heard anything from the government in terms of of kind of a benchmarking C-18 for what would constitute a success? Like would, you know, going the next five years with no major corporate media layoffs, is that the standard for success? Is it creating jobs? Because in my coverage, I actually haven't come across with, you know, how do we measure if this has worked?
3: No, I think they've been very leery of tying it to something like that. Uh, Very early on, when the expectation was that Google and Facebook would both be in full compliance, um, there was a budget estimate of how much revenue they thought would be produced. And that estimate actually became quite controversial itself, because what the revenue office determined is they thought the vast majority of the funds would not be going to sort of investigative print journalism. It would be going to broadcast outlets and it would be going to the largest players, including potentially CBC. Uh, as well as, you know, the Rogers and, and choruses of the world outlets that, even if their news might be suffering, are actually uh, extremely profitable as a whole. And uh, I should remind people as well, um, despite C18 going through, Bell has tried to remove all of their local reporting obligations recently, um, which, which just speaks to the fact that this bill actually doesn't nudge anything directly towards the area that we need that, that support.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, this brings us back to how we started, which is talking about the the adverse effects of this. I mean, because all of this was based on, you're right, this expectation that there would be a huge boatload of cash that would be flowing from the tech companies to the media outlets, which, regardless of what happens three, six months down the road, I, I think it's safe to say is not going to happen at least as optimistically as the government was then. So you either have a, a, a level of cash that is less than what was previously expected Anticipated, or you just have this indefinite blackout on uh, tech sites for access to Canadian journalism.
3: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think looking at what people can realistically experience, I think Meta's out, period. I don't think there's any way um, the government's going to be able to draw them back in. Um, they have not started blocking news on most of their platforms yet in Canada. Um, some people are being blocked on Instagram primarily, uh, but I think we can expect to see news content blocked um, almost certainly in the next few months. Google, I think the government will find some way of cutting a deal with, but I'm concerned that it's going to be a deal that kind of works for post media and kind of works for Google and actually doesn't work for Canadians or for small new outlets, news outlets and really kind of cuts out our interests
1: how do you I just I'm curious where your concern is on that? what do you think is gonna or why do you think that'll happen?
3: Well, I don't think we're gonna to see any transparency into the deals, for example. Um, I think Google will the government and Google are probably going back and forth on the number. Um, it is probably going to go primarily to the largest stakeholders uh, on this, to, to the, the conglomerate outlets. Um, and Then I guess my concern is just going to be if, if the government believes it has had to really cajole and beg Google to stay in to cut these deals, their ability to pressure Google around if those deals are set up in inappropriate ways is going to be very low. So Actually, I, I could see a world in which Google comes out of this with a, a tremendous amount of quiet influence over the news sector. Um, that is actually legislatively locked in, that isn't just sort of a dark campaign. Um, and I don't feel comfortable with that. I'm, I'm concerned about what may occur to the independent server reporting on tech issues in that world.
1: I, just, I mean, I, I don't know if you have an answer to this. But but in closing, I was wondering, Matt, if you know why Twitter has kind of gotten a pass on, on this. Because Twitter is, I'd argue, far more relevant for, notwithstanding its recent changes, for the dissemination of, of news content. But it seems to have been carved out of the discussions. When I've read the legislation, and I don't actually see how it's not applicable, or even a, a website like Reddit, for example, Example, but this has really been characterized as an assault just on Facebook and Google.
3: You know, I think uh, a simple answer to that question is if, if it looks like the government hasn't thought very hard about certain things, they probably haven't. <laughs> um, I think Google and Meta were seen as the big cash bags. Um, Twitter is very important to journalists and for breaking stories, but it's not nearly on the same financial level uh, as those two platforms, nor, nor is nearly as many Canadians on it. Um, and, uh, I mean, realistically, if, if they know they're picking a giant fight with meta, um, obviously Elon Musk would be an even rougher one to pick a target with these days. Uh, he would fight them into the ground on this. And so it tactically probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but in terms of the, you know, letter of the bill, uh, it, it's very unclear why it should be just those two platforms.
1: Yeah, I know everyone's been talking about the Mark Zuckerberg Elon Musk cage fight, but I think the Elon Musk Justin Trudeau cage match would probably be a, a little bit more of a of a hot ticket item. All right, well, certainly interesting to look at this from all the angles, and I, I know it's an unsatisfying answer to default to, but I think it's an accurate one that maybe they just didn't think it through, uh, or at least not as well as they want to pretend they did. Uh, Matt Hatfield, campaign's director for Open Media. Thanks again, Matt.
3: My pleasure. We can talk anytime.
1: Thank you very much, Matt. That was Matt Hatfield, Campaign's Director for Open Media. And like I said, this is not just a a right-of-center critique of these Internet regulations. There are voices on the left and the right that have grave concerns with uh, this whole litany of regulations that the Liberal government have been putting on the Internet. We've been speaking for most of the program up to this point about Bill C-18, but I have to go back to the original of this little package of regulations, Bill C-11. Now, this is a bill that has been passed. It's law, although we haven't yet seen the full-throated implementation of it yet that we know of. But at its core, the bill requires the promulgation of Canadian content, the promotion of Canadian content through streaming platforms like Netflix and YouTube and Crave and all of these things which means, by definition, the manipulation of algorithms. So you are actually, when you log on to YouTube, instead of seeing what YouTube might have right now as your homepage, which is content tailored to you based on your interests, you will, it seems like, be forced to see what the Trudeau government wants you to see. Now, maybe they'll serve up some good stuff. I mean, True North, my show is Canadian content, but I have a hard time imagining the passage of a bill that will put my show in front of more Canadians' eyes. I don't think that's what Trudeau would allow to happen. I've seen some tremendous foreign programs on Netflix. Money Heist, one of my favorite shows from Spain. Maybe I wouldn't learn about that under Bill C-11 because instead I'd have to watch some crappy Quebec soap opera. And I mean, the hilarity here is that we also have uh, the government extending, it sounds like, these regulations to pornography. This is what uh, has come out in the last couple of weeks. The big uh, porn companies are saying they want to be exempt from this because they don't want to have to serve up you know, crappy discount budget Canadian porn. They want to serve up the good stuff that is attracting the eyeballs of Canadians. So there are lots of ways in which I could see this being manipulated and done so in a way that is not just about the benign promotion of of Canadian culture and enterprise, but is about promoting a particular type of content creator. And the government's left so much to the CRTC here as far as developing its own regulations so that uh, what is in the law itself is only going to be a jumping off point for what actually happens when a lot of this stuff gets into motion. And I've had a lot of people, every time this topic comes up, that have said, well, what about using a VPN? Will that protect you? And there was actually a great piece in the Epic Times that was written by Roland Renner, who is a contributor to the Frontier Center, uh, that said, very tactically, how to get the internet and not the Trudeau net. So I wanted to delve into this in a bit of detail here with Roland Renner himself. Roland, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today.
0: Thank you. I'm real pleased to be here. Uh,
1: now, let's just start. For people that are not as well-versed in the tech of this, what is a VPN and, and what does it do in, in relation to your experience as an internet user?
0: Well, it's a virtual private network. So using security technology, essentially you build a private network for a group. It could be a company. Lots of companies use them. The government uses them for internal communications. Uh, political parties use them so they can communicate without somebody else coming in and, and, uh, and, and dropping in. It's essentially something that's been developed uh, to enhance security. And the side effect of it, though, is what's important here, is that it eliminates the geofencing. And geofencing is essentially identifying you as from a particular location. So as you were describing earlier, Andrew, um, if the government comes in or one of the big tech companies comes in and says, all right, we think that Canada should uh, be watching this or that, they have to identify you as Canadian. And geofencing is the technique they use to do that. And the VPN blocks that through its security processes. So that means they can't label you. Now, the labeling is sometimes good stuff, because normally, um, if you're a Canadian, you'd want to watch Canadian news, maybe not mainstream news, depending on, you know, your, your opinions, obviously, here. I haven't watched it in a long time. But if you're Italian, you know, you want the Italian news. If you're Japanese, you want the Japanese news. So these things are helpful and generally positive, even though it's a lot of power. So there's a lot of debate about that. But once you bring in C11, and now the government is going to get in, even though the CRTC claims they're not going to do that, but this is the side effect. Um, All of a sudden, you're going to have to watch what they want you to watch, and they're going to block things that they don't want you to watch. If you get a VPN, which you can do as a commercial service, there are dozens of them out there. All you got to do is go on the Internet, Google it, VPN, uh, Canada, see who's out there offering, compare and contrast, just like you do any kind of internet shopping otherwise, and uh, pick one that suits you. So uh, there's a, a technique, it's all legal. Uh, you can do it to make sure that you're not blocked by this sort of thing, and at the same time, you will get you know, more opportunities to explore globally uh, from um, the AI of the big platforms themselves.
1: Yeah, and you're right that sometimes it's done in a very benign way. I mean, we we've all been to websites and they say, oh, it looks like you're you know visiting from Canada. Do you want to see prices in Canadian dollars? And it's okay. Well, great. That's you know that's very helpful. Thank you. But usually on those that you have the option to to switch around. I mean, I was once in the U.S. for a few weeks and I got hooked on some Netflix show and I didn't finish it. And I was like, oh, I'll finish it when I get home. And then I go home and of course it's nowhere to be found on on Canadian Netflix. So I did exactly what you're describing, which I'm probably not. Not supposed to do in this context, but I got the VPN and you know said I'm in you know Seattle, Washington today, and then you know finished the the show off. And uh, Netflix was very wise to this early on, and I I think they've had in in some cases better experiences than others in trying to block this. And I I just before uh, logging on to this interview, I I did a little test from a VPN and was able to access German Netflix. And uh, but in the past, I've received a message that says basically I know what you're doing and it's not going to work. So I'm wondering how advanced VPN blockers are and, and how that could come work against people that are trying to do this for the reasons you've mentioned.
0: Well, they might be improving them in the future. You know, as you say, it's, it's hit and miss sometimes um, today, but generally speaking, it's, it's pretty good. And um, if you go to the big things like Netflix, uh, so they do have to worry about something like, copyright. So a lot of um, programming is owned by different companies and different people in different countries. And that is, you know, one of the fundamental legal challenges that we have for the big uh, platforms as to how they manage this so that creators of content get paid as they as they should be really you know one way or another by subscription or advertising and all the different models that we've had um uh, but how that is done is uh, is changing and adapting you were referring earlier to um um you know new companies and uh and new creators that uh, are going to be negatively influenced by some of this um uh potential out of bill c11 and uh that's certainly um them a, a worry, but uh, so copyright is a real worry, and even so Netflix and the large, uh, the larger um, um, organizations do try to enforce that sometimes. Um, but if you go to some of these <clears throat> the smaller organizations, um, they don't really have to worry about it, especially if they're generating their own content, like you are, for instance.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important in general, and I've always tried to be, and I know that it's a lost cause because you're being tracked in just every conceivable way imaginable when you go to this website or that website. It's like I try, you know, every now and then I'll use the incognito browser because maybe I think that, you know, Google only has 95% of what I'm doing instead of 100% of what I'm doing or or something. But but with VPNs, I mean, the one thing is that it's this process that sounds a lot more complicated than it is, and I've met people, and this is not meant to insult anyone, but people that I would not consider technical sophisticates that have managed to do this. Because there is this concern now that people are going to be forced into this internet experience that is very much not authentic.
0: Well, exactly. And I think one of the things that um, I'm glad you mentioned it because I should have put that into my piece uh, earlier for Frontier Center. It's not that hard. Now, it does cost a little bit, and there, again, you get what you pay for, kind of. So there are some complaints sometimes that it slows you down. It, it cannot introduce another choke point into your experience of, uh, of browsing. Um, however, other than that, um, it is a small expense. That's about it. I mean, you load it up like any other application, and, uh, and away you go. So you do not have to be uh, a techie. Uh, you do not have to call tech support. I'm sure the VPNs themselves will, will help you if you really have trouble. But, uh, you know, they have call centers and help desks like everyone else. But uh, it's, it's not hard.
1: Yeah, I use one. I was going to mention the name and then I'm like, no, screw that. I'm going to like, ask them for money before I, uh, before I do that. that but, but again, there, there are many options out there uh, and, and certainly you can learn pretty, pretty easily how to do it. I'll just ask in closing here, Roland, about the, the, the concern that I have more fundamentally that we're, what we're really talking about here is a band-aid. I mean, this is a, a workaround to a problem that really doesn't need to exist, but it's a problem that government is creating here
0: i agree with that (laughs) Uh, it is a band-aid but it's nice to have one Uh, in the interim i mean the only other thing to do is to get involved politically and complain loud and loud Uh, one of the great ironies of um, bill c11 in its primary role of getting um, the big platforms to contribute like canadian cable companies five percent of gross broadcasting revenues in Canada to Canadian production funds. That's what it was supposed to initially before. And, um, you know, the Canadian production industry is booming. (laughs) These are people who need a lot of help. This is a success story. They've got lots of stuff going on for Netflix. Um, They've been, revenue has been growing by 10% a year. We're protecting an industry that no longer needs protection, you know. Um, so this is full of ironies, and they're like, as you sure you've been discussing, there are five other bills out there, C-18, C-26, C-22. I think there's a Senate bill as well that uh, gets into some of the privacy issues. So and then the, the future online harms
1: bill, yeah. Full court
0: press on this stuff and getting after what they call lawful, but awful in the online harm. So, oh, we have laws against some of these things. Let's enforce the laws if you need to. Well, oh, but what about lawful, but awful? Things We are illegal, but we don't like. They've actually used this term, which tells you exactly where they're headed. Yeah. In terms of... Yeah, I, to, kind of I, in
1: my view, it should end at lawful. If it's lawful, it doesn't matter how awful it is. But uh, well said all around. Again, yeah, the Band-Aid is better than bleeding out if those are your only two options. So I think it's good for people to take their uh, tools as they can. And I appreciate you shining a bit of light on it here. Uh, Roland Renner, contributor for the Frontier Center. And then this piece in particular that we've been discussing uh, picked up by the Epic Times, How to Get the Internet and Not Trudeau Net. So uh, thanks very much, Roland. Good to talk. To you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for that, Roland Renner. I always get the messages from people that say, yeah, we know the world is terrible, but what are we going to do about it? So we try to throw a little bit of the uh, practical uh, news you can use into the mix here. And I guess I wanted to wrap up this show because we've talked about, again, internet regulations and there's still so much more we need to do. And I I actually want to do a whole show on the online harms component, which is hard to do uh, completely because we haven't yet seen the full scope of what the legislation Will be and what it'll look like. So we focus on the stuff we know about C11 and C18. But I, I know that there is a, a big question looming over all of us, which is what does this mean for independent media? And I can uh, be a little bit indulgent on this one because True North, I would say, as the platform on which you're consuming this show, is a platform that I hope you have somewhat of a relationship with. And if not, we welcome you. Uh, if this is your first experience with us, they uh, they're they're a lot better than me sometimes. Don't worry, but Let's talk a little bit about how True North has adapted to this, because obviously it's one thing to jump up and down and cheerlead for uh, Facebook uh, kind of just thumbing its nose at Post Media and the Toronto Star but when they block the dissemination of news on their platforms they're actually going to be cutting off a large audience that we have cultivated over the last several years of our existence on Facebook similarly to YouTube I remember it was a, a great boon for independent media when True North started to be included in Google News so when people are looking up a news story it's not just the Toronto Star they're seeing it's also so our reporting, so when they're going to be in the process of killing that off, that means some people that might not have accessed us otherwise will lose that exposure to us. So I wanted to bring in our colleague who you've seen on previous shows. He's also uh, working away behind the scenes as our COO, William Macbeth, and a longtime time uh, political activist and operator in Canadian politics. William, always good to talk to you, sir. Thanks for coming on today.
4: Well, it's an honor to be on your show, Andrew.
1: I mean, one thing that True North has always done very well, I, I think, is not put our eggs all in one basket. I mean, there's a reason that we upload on a bunch of different platforms and every now and then we'll get the people that even though we're on every platform, we think will be like, why are you not on, you know, blurg.com? And we'll be like, well, look it up and, you know, maybe we upload later. But uh, in general, how do you insulate against this environment where we're seeing this major standoff between the government and big tech?
4: Yeah. I mean, the question is, how do you guard against a government that is intent on being this incompetent when it comes to actually supporting news media in Canada? And it's a tough question. You know, you make the point about not having all of our eggs in one basket. I think that's very important. I would say that's a lesson we learned from legacy media who were so reliant on one form of advertising for all of their revenue and then were completely unable to manage the transition to the digital era. For us, that means not just being on Facebook or not just being on YouTube, but being on a whole variety of social media properties from the mainstream to the more avant-garde and also maintaining traditional tools like having a great news website and having a really great email list so that people can get their content from us in a whole variety of ways.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the list is a, a big part of this. And I, I know that everyone gets just bogged down in their inbox, and I'm guilty of this as well. And every now and then I'll have to go on like a an unsubscribe purge because I'm on these mailing lists that I, I never asked to be on. But that direct communication is really going to be one of the last things left online where you know you are getting access to content that's not being filtered through a manipulated algorithm or just being concealed from you altogether. And, and again, I, I know people get a lot of emails. I know it can be annoying. But if someone is concerned who's a True North follower about their ability to find us, that is like the number one way, which is join up our mailing list.
4: Absolutely. The single best way to make sure that the war between big tech and the Canadian government doesn't preclude you from seeing True North News is to sign up to our email list uh, and is to make sure that you have bookmarked our website so that it's easy to find us. And Uh, If you take those two actions, if you make sure that your family, your friends, your loved ones have also signed up for True North emails and also know how to find us at www.tnc.news, that's how you can get around the fact that uh, between government incompetence and big tech, making business decisions means you can still see True North news and it won't be blocked from your phone or from your computer or tablet.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've always, as a point of pride, have really celebrated that we're not on the receiving end of the government media bailout money, nor do we want to be. And I and I think that's what's the most unfortunate about all of this, is that we're being really penalized, as all independent medias are, for a fight that wasn't ours. We were not asking Facebook for money. And in fact, if I could, I mean, just speaking for myself, if I could check a box on Facebook that says, we cede all desire for C-18 money in exchange for being able to freely post, I would check that
4: oh, no question i mean the government has implemented a whole series of terrible solutions to try and save so-called dying legacy media none of them are good From a $600 million media bailout fund that instantly makes anybody who takes it suspect when it comes to reporting on the government, because how can you trust a media outlet that relies on taxpayer dollars to to pay their payroll, to pay their bills, to tell the truth about the government, to now this latest one where they basically said, we're going to try and extort big tech into giving millions or even billions of dollars to dying legacy media. And when people like True North and others said, well, no, the big tech companies are just going to pull out of Canada, the government said that would never happen. And anyone who suggested it would happen was just fear mongering. So it just shows the the legacy of failure that this government has had. And unfortunately, it means for people who are used to finding us on Instagram and on Facebook, both meta properties, um, it's going to become a lot harder in order to do so. So signing up to our email list visiting us at www.tnc.news. Those are the surest ways of making sure you don't lose true north
1: from your life. Yeah, and I think it's important to contextualize it. I mean, we all get the people that are are rightfully suspect. Where anytime time we have like a technical glitch in a live stream, people just say C eleven. Like, and I would love to be able to blame the government for you know regular garden variety technical issues, but uh, there is something to this though, which is that you know it, it causes people to be very suspect about the experience they're getting. Online. And, you know, right now, up until the point that something major changes, we control our own website. So that's something that people can go do directly. But my concern here is always going to be about these regulations and their ability to limit exposure to new content. And not just to True North content. I mean, even to a TV show on Netflix that might be produced out of, say, Norway or something that, you know, pre C11 you might find in your homepage suggestions, but post C11 uh, you won't because it's going to be some, you know, crappy Quebec soap opera, like I said earlier, that you have to see. So uh, that is basically it here, is that it, it does really limit the ability for new people to sort of stumble upon us, potentially.
4: Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, uh, you know, to suggest that somehow the CRTC is going to do a better job of telling big tech how to display content. That Canadians actually want to see is laughable. Big tech invests billions of dollars building algorithms that are solely designed to try and show you more of what you like or what you might be interested in based on, you know, your previous viewing patterns and, and other things like that. And now suddenly we're going to have the CRTC noted Uh, not for its deep competency and efficiency, Uh, just look at our cell phone market, uh, meddling in how the algorithms start to display Canadian content. And, And where it could really hurt us is, will the impact be great Canadian content isn't going to be shown as much to an international audience because of the meddling that's taking place by the government and the CRTC, because a lot of YouTubers uh, who are famous in Canada also are famous in other parts of the world, notably the United States. And it would be a great disservice if our Canadian export of culture and talent and, 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 you know, great entertainment got stymied because, again, there's some Quebec soap opera that isn't getting enough views, and therefore the government has meddled to try and show it to more Anglophone Albertans.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's it's creative protectionism, really. And it's it's particularly ironic from the government that said when it was renegotiating NAFTA that, you know, we need to protect free trade. And uh, the re- the rationale behind that was that we needed Canada to be able to access the international market. So it's all well and good to look at Bill C 11 and say this will protect Canadians. But imagine if every country in the world had their own C 11 alternative, had their own domestic C 11 uh, comparison or analog. It means Means that all of a sudden these Canadian shows that might have otherwise had an export value will not I mean if the US were as protectionist as Canada is trying to be Shits Creek which is a very popular Canadian show in the US would not necessarily be as popular in the US so you you reap what you sow there and I, I don't think the government has really anticipated the long term consequences of this of not just closing off the foreign content stream to Canadians but also inadvertently closing off the Canadian stream to international audiences. So I'm glad True North is adapting. I I will say I'm annoyed but I'm not defeated about this because we are doing things but absolutely if I can do the shameless plug get on our mailing list and more importantly if you can support uh, independent media by heading to donate.tnc.news it also allows us to have more tools in the toolbox. We can advertise, we can promote, we can generate more content. So I'm glad to have my colleague William Macbeth on. As always this time to shine a bit of a light on what we're doing. William, thanks very much.
4: Thanks very much for having me.
1: All right. Thank you. And I know he's the COO, but he didn't make me have him on. That was my uh, my own choice there. We will talk to you all next week with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. This is the Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you. God bless and have a wonderful weekend.
0: Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.